Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex. This week it's the post-Bathurst hangover edition. Every edition seems to be a hangover edition when we have a big weekend, but it wasn't big in that sense. We didn't go through a slab or anything like we normally do, but yeah, it's the post-Bathurst 1000 edition. There was something on the side called the Japanese Grand Prix as well, which we'll talk about straight away just so we can get it out of the way and rip straight into Bathurst, which was the epic race that we did expect and lots of drama and whatnot and yeah, deserved winners and I guess part of the Bathurst folklore already, those guys. So yeah, let's uh, get straight into it today, Baden. And um, Japanese Grand Prix, let's uh, might as well get through it as quickly as we can. Um, it was another Mercedes AMG masterclass in Suzuka. Hamilton within one win now of a fifth world championship. And, you know, given that we started the season thinking that, oh yeah, this could go down to the wire. We're sitting here with four races in hand and yeah, with three remaining after next time in Austin, uh, the championship could already be won. Mm. 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 Yeah, about that. Pretty hard to even consider any kind of viewing from this point. It just feels like it's it's worthless going through the, the motions and Ferrari's spirit just seems like it's been snuffed out. They didn't even um, show a fight on... The weekend and started with Saturday, that qualifying blunder epitomises the way things have transpired really since the second half of the season commenced. Yeah, and for Mercedes, a dominant victory despite a couple of concerns that they had from the pit wall. Ultimately, it didn't matter in the end because they still finished quite a fair margin up the road. Valtteri Bottas P2 again, doing the job, as he said, um, post-race. So, yeah, he finished 10 seconds behind Hamilton. But, yeah, fourth consecutive win for Hamilton sees um, a 67-point lead in the championship now. So, basically, if um, Vettel finishes lower than third in Austin, Hamilton wins another race. And remember, he's undefeated in Austin all but one year in 2013. The championship will be his. So, And as you said, difficult weekend Ferrari. Title hopes all but gone. The qualifying stuff-up was where it all started, I guess, where um, they decided to send him out on intermediate tyres, even though everyone else was on um, the super softs during the start of Q3. That pretty much compromised their chances of actually setting a competitive lap. And then Vettel himself had a spin, so I guess just not being able to recover from that and having to start P9 as well, not a very good qualifying position for him, especially considering he has a championship on the line. Then the start of the race um he made a great start made up a few positions but got himself tangled with Max Verstappen at the spoon corner whether um that was a bit of a contentious one because not everyone thinks that Max was at fault that it was Seb he was just trying to find a gap where there wasn't a gap and everything but Max coming out of a little tangle with Kimi on the um er earlier lap I guess which he got a five second penalty for it wasn't good for Max's race either but yeah for Seb he ended up at the back of the field after that and had to recover back to sixth, which was the best he could do on the day. Vettel again, seems as though nine times out of ten this season when it's been on the line, he's um, taken the inferior uh, option and it's really bitten him once too often or really several times too often at this point. There is no point of return, whereas Hamilton just very calculated and he's uh, just showed over the course of this season, probably last as well, that he's... He's been able to mature into that role where he'll sit back and let it play out and, and Vettel 
takes the bait so often and you see these consequences it, it's just at a stage now where you can't trust the the german to to be able to look at that longer picture again and almost every weekend at this stage he's doing something which is an unforced error yeah unforced error so they go from having the best car on the grid to now not having the best car on the grid but then when they did have that car they still made all these errors and it just reeked of desperation almost that move on on Verstappen now you know during the race uh commentary as well they said oh well you know it was just completely unnecessary given that Verstappen already had a five second penalty which he had to serve in his pit stop so Seb would have automatically had that position if he had not tried to go for it so that would basically cost him a podium um there's no denying it and then Verstappen ended up finishing third despite having that penalty because Seb went to the back of the field Kimi was nowhere in the race either so you know it's just yeah you know another year given where we started and it's just hard not to be pretty disappointed with not pretty but just very disappointed with the way that they've uh, come out and we'll talk about it a little bit later um, just a holistic view on the whole season so far for them but yeah I reckon you know forget about Ferrari now going into the future ever challenging Mercedes Mercedes just done a great job as they have all year um, for the last four years as well they've they've had probably their toughest year arguably yet they've still got the job done testament to Mercedes yet again uh, on this occasion they were legitimately looking like they had surrendered that top dog status in the, the midpoint of the season yet their resilience to, to back themselves bring those upgrades and you'd say back Hamilton he's had a bit of help from Bottas so he should be given credit where it is due but they've really um, come through the other side and, and like last season unlike those first three years when it was never in question at this point it really does beg the question whether they'll be challenged legitimately over the course of a season, we've seen it in patches, but never throughout the full 2021 races. Until 2021 at this stage, you have to think that Mercedes, uh, it's going to be a stretch to see them beaten for the title. Oh, definitely. And we can talk at end about that um, at the end of the season anyway. But important to point out too that for the second consecutive or maybe third consecutive race, um, sorry, second consecutive race, that... Red Bull have been stronger than Ferrari as well. So Red Bull finished third and fourth, Verstappen on the podium, of course. Daniel Ricciardo had that excellent um, run in the race from P15 to 4. It was disappointing again that he had reliability problems in qualifying and we saw his audible frustration, I guess. He said he blew out his vocals um, when he was walking down pit lane and it just, I guess, sums up the season he's had post winning uh, the Monaco Grand Prix, not been on the podium, but, you know, had he not had qualified that low, a podium could have been on the chance, on the cards here for them this weekend. It's Suzuka, he's been on the podium before. So, um, yeah, I guess for fourth and crucially ahead of both Ferrari cars, I guess it's a good, a, a strong race for Red Bull. Just a bit of a shot of vitality for Ricardo. You could see uh, it's a very rare sight, the, the way he was post-qualifying on the... Saturday and that grin and return the next day and and you do hope that if he has had the the last share of that misfortune that somewhere like a Mexico they might have a, a chance of, of getting themselves at least 
a podium and something just to work with momentum-wise. Again, both parties, we discuss every week at this point, but that'll be hoping just to get to the end of the year and, and start afresh. Well, it seems like they might have the ascendancy over Ferrari now, which you wouldn't have thought about a few races ago, wouldn't you? So, yeah, definitely somewhere like Mexico, they're a chance to win the race ahead of both Ferrari and Mercedes. But I'm um, going back to Max. So, yeah, messy race for him early on. And I guess the Vettel thing... There was no penalty for that, and I guess it's it was understandable. Vettel was sort of going for a gap that didn't really exist and whatnot, and he really didn't have to risk that because of Max's five-second penalty with Kimi. But yeah, the, the Kimi hit was uh, blatantly obvious, and he didn't need to do that, did Max. And yeah, Kimi ended up suffering as a result of it too, so hence the five-second penalty. Kind of surprised that there wasn't a more harsher penalty dished out but still to come back finish third he almost had a chance on Bottas as well um, if it wasn't for that lockup he had right at the end of the race and Bottas I guess dropped far behind Hamilton at the end 10 seconds was the deficit and then um, Max had the chance but then yeah you know he had that lockup and Bottas as well I guess it's just really it's kind of depressing to hear him after the races now when he's on the podium doing the podium interview that um yeah he's just doing his job um I just did my job out there today it's just like well you know finishing on the podium I mean the podiums are getting a lot more and more um Russia was probably the worst podium I've seen in ages where everyone just seems so miserable um and then yeah again Bottas miserable on the podium here in Japan so yeah basically his um what do you call it his his figure is pretty much destroyed at the moment this year and pretty might as well write the rest of the season off and start afresh next if you're like me, the last few races tuned out the second the checkered flags come out. It's not even worth hanging about for some of those reactions, the way they're ambushed, particularly out of the, the car. It's um, lost that, that charm, I guess, where they can gather their thoughts. And then when you know the narrative, particularly with Bottas, he's just quite disgruntled and, again, wouldn't be a surprise if he's given that token victory at Abu Dhabi for what it counts but he knows that he was capable of so much more but just the way things eventuated when he had those opportunities they didn't present themselves to him and now he's been typecast you can only hope that he's given every opportunity to start alongside Hamilton next year with equal opportunity yeah exactly and the way you say that he's been typecast it's almost like you know the the public and um, the media have willed him into this situation when he came to Mercedes um last year um they've they all along wanted him in this position where he was the number two and he was the the wingman or whatever and despite all his efforts to try and not end up in that position you know it's almost like that they've willed him into it and um leaving no what do you call it giving him no chance essentially and even from a team perspective I think Mercedes would have still easily wrapped up the title with Hamilton, even um, if Bottas won a couple of races this year. Um, if it wasn't for, I guess, the bad luck that he had at the start of the year, Bottas could have been in title contention himself. But yeah, you know, in the latter part of the season where he was far behind Hamilton in the points, a win at Hungary or as we saw in Russia, you know, might as well have given it to him. Case can easily be argued that he's driving better this season with zero victories and last year he ends up with the, the three of them and it's just been those moments. He's always been the one to suffer where 
Hamilton, of course, um, he, he does escape those situations just from a clear head, but Bottas has done so little wrong this year to have ended up with such heartbreak and, and just being marginalised in favour of, of anyone else. You do have to wonder when he'll get an opportunity to, to show what he's capable of because over the, the basis of those two almost complete seasons at this stage, you have to say he's exceeded the expectations, at least internally, on, on what they were hoping when he came in and was just a um, piecemeal number two. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like just it's always going to be overshadowed by having that teammate in Lewis Hamilton. And then even if Bottas isn't a title contender, at least he's still scoring those points and he's, um, what do you call it, he's reliable, he's consistent, he's everything that a um, race-winning driver should be. But, you know, I mean, this is the script that was written for him, unfortunately, since he joined Mercedes and the media and the public are just... uh, you know, enjoying it. It's what they wanted and it's how he's been typecast. So that's unfortunately the case. And yeah, even that um, in its own, you talk about um, just seeing Ferrari's title tilt drop off. Even the whole Bottas thing is a bit disheartening as a viewer to watch these days. As good as a job as Hamilton's doing, let's not take anything away from him. And, you know, a fifth world championship is you know, unprecedented and he is totally one of the best drivers of the of all time. But, you know, when you look at the other guys around him, it just almost seems like there's no competition when it's manufactured in that way. And, you know, next year I hope to see Bottas a lot more in contention and not having these issues that he had at the start of the year which have taken him out of title contention. Just that feeling of hollowness that um not that it's artificial to what Hamilton has achieved but if Ferrari can't take the heat up uh, unlike Rosberg did then Bottas can have some semblance of a challenge that he can pose to Hamilton and we get something along the lines of what we saw in those initial years with an internal fight and that that would be great rather than having one driver but, locked into the crown with three or four races yeah, but remaining. Mercedes don't want to see that again they dealt with it in those three years between Hamilton and Rosberg and they don't want to do it again and oh they don't but yeah. from our perspective from our obviously we would but yeah they internally don't want to to risk that sort of thing again and I think that's just kind of um, as much as it's a team sport and everything and the constructors championship matters too it does take away from the spectacle then and you know that's why you know when you look at MotoGP and the teammate rivalries there is a lot more intense because you know there is they're almost like okay they're riding the same bike they're wearing the same colors but it's almost divided into two separate factions um, within the team and each man is for himself they've got their own engineers they've got their own you know crews basically working so if if that could have if that could be adopted into Formula One somehow um, that would be great and yeah if it was Hamilton versus Bottas next year Ferrari can't challenge I'd totally take that over uh, one man just dominating the championship, you know? So, like we saw in 2016, yeah, everyone complained because it was a Mercedes ball fest, but I totally enjoyed it because it was two Mercedes drivers fighting each other. There was a lot of tension externally and internally, and it gave us a good championship that went down to the wire, and in the end, you know, the better driver over the whole year won. So, if we could have that again, that would be great. It all comes back to Mercedes as testament to what they've been able to withstand and that case that we probably made last year over the the change regulations and now that's been sustained and, and who knows with the, the latest overhaul for next season and, and that goes through 
God knows how much longer, another two years and, and beyond that's another question. But at this stage, you have to look at them um, objectively as one of the greatest uh, organisations of all time in the 70 years of the sport. Yeah, sporting in, if not for Formula One and motorsport, you could talk about um, any team in world sport as far as the dynasty is concerned. So, you know, you look at the Golden State Warriors, Chicago Bulls in the um, in NBA and then international teams, all blacks even, who've been dominant and then your football codes and all that. So, yeah, you know, it's one of those teams where you can hold them up in world sport as being a true dynasty. And we said this anyway last year when they won the Constructors and the Drivers title that, you know, they're the first team in Formula One to, between two sets of regulations, actually um, win um, championships. So, yeah, that's a true testament to how strong they are, not only on the driver front, but on a team front as well in all the different departments. And then you look at the change between when Paddy Lowe left and then when James Allison was brought in as well, it almost seems seamless. And if not, they've grown even stronger with that addition of Allison there but anyway more on that when we conclude the season we can reflect on how good Mercedes has been um, as we have over the last four years anyway so quickly going over the rest of the Grand Prix so double points for Force India 7th and 9th um, Checo being the best of the rest and in between them was uh, Roman Grosjean and the Haas and I guess uh, only one point score of four Haas because his teammate Kevin Magnussen had a DNF after a, a hit with Charles Leclerc early on in the race, which Leclerc and Sauber were not happy about. And a lot of people getting onto the um, anti Magnussen bandwagon for his uh, aggressive tactics. But then there's a lot of people who actually like his style of racing. It's aggressive, but not like uh, a Pasta Maldonado style. Like he is one of those old school type races is Magnuson where he puts everything on the line and he does get the job done. He's abrasive and that's the personality you, you do need. He's had some close calls this season, but you'd hope that particularly with Grosjean on the improve that he'll be able to, to round out his performance and just play his percentages a bit more clearly. And for, for Sauber, it was amusing hearing the quotes from the clerk that he feels Magnuson is and always will be a nutcase essentially. Yeah, exactly. And um, what about those quotes that were taken out of uh, context as well about, you know, Magnussen wants to die in an F1 car or something as well. So, yeah, he's one of those old school races. I don't think he, that is supposed, we don't want that to happen or whatever, whatever those quotes. Were I think that was more of. metaphorical than saying yeah. he hopes to get killed behind yeah. the wheels. Um, but, you know, it's great to see that sort of fiery personality in the car, but also in a talented driver too. He's not like he's some... Uh, talentless hack who's actually talking big he's actually got a lot of chops on him too and we've seen quite a few good performances from him this season Um, disappointing finish for Toro Rosso I guess despite qualifying in the top 10 um, given that it was Honda's home race they had the upgrade and everything for the engine Um, Pierre Gasly unfortunately pipped right at the end of the race by Carlos Sainz for the final point and then Brendan Hartley you know he started his best qualifying of the season but then just at the start, lost all those positions and then didn't really recover and he was just well outside the top 10. So, yeah, disappointing, I guess, for them. But, you know, still a lot of positives to take away for Toro Rosso and for Honda, crucially. I think probably for Hartley, the, the way that he had that promise of Saturday and all that speculation, which continues about Toro Rosso, that it wouldn't have done him any favours when that chance was in the offing. And for Honda, after that... Um, bullish prediction coming in about making Q3, which they realised it was probably a bit of a damn squib. 
overall for the team. Yeah, because ultimately it's the points that pays the dollars at the end of the day. And if they didn't score any points, then it ultimately that's what the reflection is at the end of the season on where they finish in the championship. At least they would have taken a lot of satisfaction, Honda that is, that they were able to out-qualify McLaren who barely made it out of Q1 or didn't even make it out of Q1, I think, with Alonso and Van Dorn. And I guess another messy race for Fernando Alonso... Um, some team radio messages that didn't actually get broadcast um, talking about the penalty that he received for gaining an, adv- an advantage over Lance Stroll, which was totally, I guess, um, unnecessary given where those two collided. It was at the chicane and Alonso had no um, choice but to use that runoff and in turn the stewards thought he gained an advantage, which I think he might have even slowed down to give that position back to, to Stroll. But, you know, Stroll got a penalty for coming together with Alonso. But I guess giving Alonso the penalty for um, gaining an advantage was a bit unnecessary. And, yeah, he came out and said, shame on F1, and just totally rubbished the penalty. He kept going on and on about it even after the race. Not this boy, and he can't wait to get out of it all. And, really, he's probably clutching at straws in the context. There wasn't much that were either of them fighting for so uh, it's just a shame to see that he's parting terms on such a, a bitter note and you can only hope that he rediscovers that flair wherever his next endeavor might be yeah and i guess he'll be happy that this weekend he'll be back behind the wheel of a, a race winning car being still in japan for the fuji race in the world endurance championship so you know he's got that at least to keep his sanity but yeah only four f1 races left for him i guess um in total and McLaren just uh, not really on the improve by the looks of it it almost looks like they've given up on 2018 and they're looking forward to start 2019 and there's no real development coming on the parts I mean there's even talk about how their tyre selections are that you know mundane that it's almost like they don't really care about being aggressive or anything at this point they've completed the minimum amount of races they might as well just stay home and really put all resources towards the next season or 2021 whenever they've actually got a chance of uh, getting on the climb again and you'd think as well given that force india had their points stripped from them when they uh, returned at the belgian grand prix that you know i think they're only like 13 or 14 points behind in the constructors championship of mclaren you'd think that given the way that force india have been traveling that they might even uh, pip them to that position that McLaren are in currently. So that would be uh, pretty disappointing for McLaren, who's had the whole season to be beaten by a team that's only really been in there for half a season. So, No, they, they don't really deserve to be up there as it is Force India for what it was worth before they had to start from zero. That They've clearly had that consistency. So it's pretty easy to see them overhauling a few more if they keep up with the the double car point halls exactly so just some final thoughts quickly and i guess we talked about this a lot over the weekend and then there was some article that you showed me as well about it yesterday it's just the questions that are going to be around ferrari now and their form drop off since the belgian grand prix and a lot of it perhaps to do with uh the untimely death of sergio marchioni the fact that ferrari is sort of rudderless at the moment the new management are not really they're taking a back seat with everything then you've got internal um combustion between Arriva Benny and uh Matteo Binotto as well and it really is just like civil war at the moment in there and you know there's no one really guiding the team at the track and that's why they're sort of uh, in the position that they are it seems as though without that central pillar in 
Marchione where things had really come on very strongly in the, the four years he was he was running the the show and almost overnight we thought it might have galvanized them if anything and for a point we thought maybe that was the case but clearly since that mid-season break everything's gone to water and everyone's got opposing ideologies and all the power plays that were being speculated for a few years probably being staved off by Marchione, they're all coming to bear now and I think it's going to be a pretty tumultuous off-season and who knows whether it leaves them better off or just um, even further gone into the future. Yeah, well, until these things are addressed and someone comes in that can steer the ship, you think that they're going to the situation's going to go from bad to worse. I guess with Marchione, he came in, not really, I guess a lot of people questioned whether he was committed to F1 or not, but he really steered them to where they were at the start of this year, being genuine championship contenders and having the best car. And I guess this is what he did with his iron fist, like he's done in pretty much everything that he put his hand to so you know not having a figure like that I guess yeah they're back to I guess the the rubble that they were in um what do you call it uh when Luca de Montezemolo was at the end of his reign and yeah when Ferrari went through three two team principles in the space of a year so yeah there's going to be a lot of questions asked going forward but yeah for what it is this season it's like I can't really see them winning another race at this stage so um yeah, it's all on Mercedes and then maybe Red Bull to take one as well, come Mexico. And Vettel would have to be pretty close to analysing his options if this continues next season. He hasn't really got that much longer in his prime, so any alternatives there wouldn't be a surprise at all. Like Alonso's done and many other Ferrari drivers in the past, they find a way to escape the contracts when it's clear, probably in his fifth season, that he's given it enough of an attempt and whether he's to blame partially, whether those pressures and the mistakes have been caused by Ferrari's own issues, whether he's had too much responsibility to bear, something we'll have to give at some point. Yeah, his issues on track don't help either really. Like, you know, if he was able to uh, get the job done and not have those errors and whatnot, then, you know, it would have been a lot better. But then, yeah, you've got to contribute, you've got to proportion also uh, what's going on internally and also um, strategically all those bad calls that they've made that's also got to be a factor in this so you know you win as a team you lose as a team and that's what you got to talk about with Ferrari and you can talk about that with Mercedes as far as winning is concerned so yeah um, just quickly drivers of the day hard to go past uh, another Red Bull driver for like the 10th consecutive race yeah, Red uh, Daniel Ricciardo this time doing the fight from the rear to fourth and you know you said you said it I said it perhaps Mexico an opportunity for him to win or even be on the podium for the last time for Red Bull yeah you'd hope so anytime he finishes at the moment it seems as though he's putting in those driver of the day performances but it seems there's only about that's two or three times out of 10 almost uh, statistically since Monaco such has been his misfortune but overall you'd probably have to say that Craig Lowndes would be the driver of the day when you're taking a bit more of a popular look at uh, what the, the main attraction was on Sunday. Oh yeah we'll get straight into it then the Bathurst 1000 recap and yeah like uh, Craig Lowndes, Stephen Richards again um putting on a masterclass, claiming their seventh and fifth victories um, respectively. And, you know, pair of legends, again, they've become Bathurst Immortals, say what you want. Um, Craig Lowndes within two wins now of Peter Brock's record of nine. And 
I guess it was a really special one this year for Lowndes and Richards, given that it's Lowndes' final season as a uh, primary driver, as a full-time driver. Stephen Richards, you know, uh, his future up in the air as well, given that Triple Eight are scaling back to two cars next season and Lowndes will be a co-driver for one of those guys. So, you know, guys like Dumbrell and Richards, even Earl Bamber, at the, uh, who's currently with Shane Van Gisbergen, will they be in that second seat um, along being the second co-driver at that team next year so but overall yeah such a fascinating race weekend starting you off with wet uh, practice sessions and then we finally had some dry running on Saturday no sorry on Friday for qualifying and then Saturday top 10 shootout was so exciting David Reynolds being on pole position and Erebus just so strong all weekend you know up until you know that point in the race where we'll talk about in a second there was heartbreak for them we had Anton Di Pasquale as well qualifying third in his first Bathurst shootout too so you know great start to the weekend for those guys really shows you the way their development curve has been over the past two or three years since that switch to Holden and the confidence with David Reynolds particularly and probably that switch to two cars having the reference points there really pays off for, for stuff like this when you come to the Enduros they've been a lot more consistent over the balance of the season and, and obviously they've put a lot of work towards being right to go specifically for Bathurst and they came so close to executing it almost flawlessly when you saw how strong they were Friday and Saturday in for 85-90% of that race on Sunday it's just the, the the nature of of that circuit it bites at some point and at least they, they did see the finish line but it wasn't the result that they wanted or deserved yeah and heartbreak it was um, for Reynolds and for Luke Yildon but David Reynolds being in that car for the penultimate stint and suffering those severe leg cramps you know while leading the race and um you know, you, you think of those performances where, you know, they brave it out, they tough it out and they see the chequered flag, but it just got to a point where it was so painful and severe that, um, yeah, he had to be taken out of the car, that he was too fatigued and everything and mentally he was um, absolutely exhausted and shattered and Luke Yulden put on standby, um, they brought Reynolds in for the final pit stop um, he elected to stay in the car but that was I guess his downfall because um, having not been able to feel his leg it actually hit the pedal and spun the wheel in pit lane which you're not allowed to do when the when the car's being serviced so that gave it them after losing the position to Lowndes who took over the lead uh, they got a pit lane penalty which then put him down the order and in the end you know finishing um uh, I think it was like 13th or something or 14th um, yeah it wouldn't have been the result that they hoped for a podium could have still been on the cards if they had decided to put Yildon in the car earlier um, when they initially found those problems for Reynolds but yeah you know you got to take your hat off to the guys though for the effort that they put in and David Reynolds especially you could see how much it means to him how much it meant to him to, to win a back go back to back at Bathurst I mean we talked about them being in title contention early in the year but you know since that dropped off you could sense that their year Erebus's year was about going back to back at Bathurst and you know it almost came off but you know in the history books it almost isn't enough you know you've got to actually pull it off and how fascinating would it have been if Reynolds with those leg pains actually pulled the job off and um, yeah back-to-back Bathurst victories would have been quite special. 
just gives more incentive to get it right next year and they are consoled by last year's fairy tale success and and probably on the occasion the way it worked out they they'd be at least very satisfied that if it wasn't them that Craig Lowndes got to be on the top step and and there's plenty of time ahead for for Reynolds and the way Erebus uh, does develop they they might really come around next year if they can get a all season package firing right in that mix for outright title contention yeah it would be good to see for them too and Reynolds just really matured as a race driver this season and has that confidence as you can say see and you know it all starts with that shootout lap I guess um, on Saturday to claim pole position and you know have that that intense state that intention that yeah they're gonna go for the back-to-back and whatnot and for young Anton Di Pasquale as well it was really um, good to see and unfortunately he had heartbreak too because um, they had that crash on lap 140 at Reed Park but during the day they made mistakes earlier on they were leading one and two Erebus um, in the opening stint and then Di Pasquale made a, a small mistake then there was a pit stop uh, mistake as well for those guys so yeah a bit of finger trouble but Overall, a, a solid effort from Erebus, and you'd hope that they'd come back stronger next year. And for Di Pasquale, first time out at Bathurst, he certainly kept himself pretty well uh, acquitted and got the um, the knowledge there that he needs just to, to move forward. And you can see it's been a pretty promising year for him, particularly for Erebus as well. Expanding to the the multiple car operation, it's been successful. Oh, they've been two cars for the, quite some time now, actually. Who, who did they have before? It was Dale Wood last year. That's right. It's probably why I don't remember too well. That they <laughs> had the the second car. There was a time though when they had the one. Wasn't nah, they? they've always had two cars. Well, in that case, only one of them's ever really been notable <laughs> until this <laughs> this year, and giving it to a. A rookie. I think it's paid off. Yeah, rookie of the year easily, Di Pasquale. But going back and looking at all the results anyway, so well, Scott Pye won't laugh embracing the podium for the second year in a row, having started a lowly 18th on the grid as well. So solid effort by the, the Walkinshaw team to, to get up there on the podium again. And I guess both guys lamenting that, you know, they would have liked to have gone one better, but especially with a, a figure like Lowndes on the top step, they can't really complain. And hopefully next year they'll be in that position to to win the race and you know Walkinshaw previously HRT they have been strong every year they've come to to Bathurst um, over the past few years and especially Warren Luff I think this is his third podium in four years um, at this circuit and then when you look back when he was with the Red Bull team with Craig Lowndes they were on the podium in 2013 as well so He's probably edging closer to a victory himself. He's about due now, given the success he's had here. But yeah, for Scott Pye, he's already a race winner this year. And um, yeah, you can I can totally see him one day being a Bathurst winner. Just continues that upward curve since the, the loss of the factory support there. And who knows what the future holds for the um, joint collaboration there, assessing the options. But they've got to be appealing to... To someone, if Chevrolet does want to get behind it with a Camaro package for 2020, these are the kind of results which will be appealing to to all those um, major investors and shareholders. And quickly as well, uh, Zach Brown, I think he made a big mistake by missing out on this race to to be at the Japanese Grand Prix because, yeah, what, what did McLaren do over the weekend and what was the result that 
his team that he's invested in in Walkinshaw achieved. So, yeah, it would have been special if he was there this weekend. But they had Michael Andretti, of course, with Ryan Walkinshaw. So I'm sure they would have been quite pleased with that result, even if, unfortunately, the other car um, suffered a mechanical failure on lap 33 and, um, you know, a win eluded or a chance for a podium eluded uh, James Courtney and Jack Perkins once again. Yes, and probably been a bit of a forgettable year for Courtney on the whole compared to what... Pi has achieved, he's again left languishing and licking his wounds. Yeah, exactly. And I said, you know, at the time when um, Scott Pye was brought in, I said, you know, it would have been better if they had Pye and Tander together at that team rather than Pye and Courtney. Um, given Even though Courtney's a former champion, I guess he really, next to Tander, probably Tander the preferred driver given his ability and everything. But yeah, that's uh, here we are. Anyway, P3 on the podium, Scott McLaughlin and Alex Premer. So, you know, crucial result as far as the championship is concerned as well, finishing ahead of Shane Van Gisbergen to bring that gap back to 19 points. But yeah, important too, because this is Scott McLaughlin's first Bathurst podium. I mean, he's been in contention for so many years and he's just either had retirements, DNFs, or not been on the podium, finished fifth or sixth. So, yeah, a great result for him to finish on the podium too. And he said post-race there was some booing as well for for the Ford drivers and he had the Jim Richards moment where he feel like calling them a pack of assholes or whatever which I guess always is a a funny little touch when you go onto that Bathurst podium and you do get booed for being a driver for the other manufacturer. Just a good monkey off the back for McLaughlin there after some personal demons here over the course of his career and then from the way they've slipped a bit in recent events it'll just be something that can give them a bit of a um a leg to stand on into the final races there if they've got any chance of overcoming triple eight which has just grown stronger over the course of this season yeah exactly and going to the next race in gold coast as well it's a circuit that van gisbergen's been very strong at in the past but also mclaughlin and Premer have been a formidable duo at that venue as well they won here last uh, they won there last year too so um yeah it's going to be a crucial uh race or a couple of races sorry at the gold coast but getting that podium ahead of Van Gisbergen who finished fifth or sixth I think in the end um yeah it was quite crucial as far as the points were concerned and I knew and I said this last week when we did the preview that you know if neither of these two guys were going to be in a position to win the race which early on they were but as the race sort of panned out it it sort of became a bit more um apparent that they weren't it'd all be about trying to finish ahead of the other and to try and get those points in the championship so for third you know to get that podium as well was quite special for mclaughlin but also um yeah getting those championship points was quite crucial too and now keeping it out of the wall at gold coast it's a entirely different beast again yeah exactly and um i guess there was uh chaos during Bathurst, as always, we had friendly fire between the Tickford cars, uh, the Mostert car and the Cam Waters car, which left uh, the latter quite angry, you could say. But um, uh, Mostert, I guess, sort of redeemed himself for Tickford being the leading um, contender and actually being an outsider for the win as well. And he finished fourth in the end, so but still copped a bit of hate from you know fans on social media, which I guess is completely uncalled for. It was, when you look at the move, yeah, it was contentious, but... Um, you could see David Russell really didn't help by not giving Mostert a lot of room to get through at the elbow. So, yeah, that just sums up the, the season that that 
outfit have had pretty rudderless of course and um you know the times where they have been in contention and everything you know it kind of gets overlooked because of all the poor performances again they'll be hoping with particularly regards to mark winterbottom to understand the car a lot better and moving into the mustang next year hopefully have have that one as a priority at this stage and and really um the last few years since that title for for winterbottom there they've just been languishing and for mostert he clearly is the future if he commits to the team and, and those kind of results and the friendly fires we've seen a few times in probably the last year or two um just shows that they need to to probably get away from it all and, and look towards that future and um whether at the at the top step or just getting that consistency again it's just been one of those years where they've just been uh far short of the mark far too frequently yeah without a win as well you could say you could almost compare them to how yamaha have been this year in moto gp just um having no direction at the moment and yeah and just looking so far off being able to win a race um and i guess they jag a podium every now and again but yeah to to not be in contention to win which this squad you know 2015 they won a championship of course with winterbottom um yeah it's just uh they need to get back in there as soon as possible and next year with the mustang if if that's what turns them around then yeah we will have to wait and see but i guess bathurst bathurst always brings up those um, heartbreak narratives and again for Jamie Wincup and Paul Dumbrell they were crueled by tyre failure earlier in the race but they bounced back to finish 10th again to score some points but as far as the championship is concerned as far as the championship is concerned you know 404 404 points adrift now it's probably not really um going to be a year where Wincup's going to win that eighth title but between McLaughlin and Van Gisbergen uh, Van Gisbergen still leads by 19 points that margin really cut down now after McLaughlin's podium so yeah you know given that we've got three events to go and a total of six races um yeah it's going to be quite quite interesting to see where it goes between between the two Kiwis. I think at this stage of Van Gisbergen comes out with an extended lead after Gold Coast, just in terms of momentum, hard to see him surrender that lead, but for DJR TP, at least um, they were a lot uh, nearer to the mark this time out than they had been really going to Taylor and Bend and, and even Sandown, they were just um, completely outclassed by triple eight so if they get a a victory or just another podium you can see that um it's just accumulating those minor placings they can be pivotal rather than the outright victories yeah and newcastle given what happened last year it's all going to be about surviving the chaos and whatnot so and i dare say when we get to pukakoi um next month as well for the home race for both mclaughlin and van gisberg and it's going to go off there as well between the two kiwis and those two being in championship contention too so that's going to be a, a round to look out for which comes after the gold coast uh, next weekend but yeah as it was um sad to say but uh, uh bathurst really overshadowed f1 this weekend and yeah it's just one of those races where you know you look forward to all year and now it's kind of unbelievable that it's already done and over with you know when we look at it from a supercars point of view it's the race we look forward to all year and yeah it's quite a quite a significant weekend and yeah it's already done and uh, dusted for another season so we look forward to it next year again and i guess for going back to lounge and richards yeah lounge his final stint as a, a full-time driver um he himself said that 
the win was more, it was a better win than 2006, which was quite a an emotional win for him, uh, given that it was straight after the passing of Brock himself. So, you know, perhaps one of his most uh, comfortable wins. Um, but yeah, certainly one that is uh, quite memorable. Definitely wasn't the all-time classic Bathurst event, but it had the right outcome there, and probably the pressure was slightly off for Lowndes, knowing this was the last time as a full-time driver that he could just go out and soak it all up, and and you saw saw that he probably really uh, had had an enjoyable weekend, and uh, afterwards just a bit of relief just to to know that he's going to get to be in a bit more of a relaxed mindset in the coming months, and he can always come back here and if he's got that willingness to, to go around for a few years, there's every chance he'll he'll break that record of at least equal and who knows after that. But he's certainly chosen the right time to bow out on the full-time basis after what he went through 12 months ago. This is really a good way for him to sign off. And for Richards as well, as a co-driver, he's won five Bathurst now and you know he's two away from equaling his dad Jim Richards so you know for a driver of his capability Stephen Richards yeah you know it's it's he's had a great stint and two wins now alongside Lowndes and the first win will always be one of the most memorable for me personally because we were actually there to witness it so you know you can always talk about that it's like yeah we saw Lowndes won't win Lowndes and Richards win Bathurst together so um, in the same way you can, if you were fortunate enough to see Brock back in the day do it. So, um, yeah, quite a, a significant weekend in that respect. But for Lowndes, yeah, who will he partner next year is the big question. Will it be Win Cup or Van Gisbergen? Um, but, yeah, you'd think that for the years to come, with that Triple Eight car, he'll still be in contention. Yeah, good problem for Triple Eight to have, really, where they partner him with win cup when they've had so much success in the past or whether they want to go with van gisbergen which would probably be quite a good combination you imagine they'd complement complement each other quite nicely so that's something they've got a bit of time to get their head around and yet again i guess win cup and lands might want to have one last uh, tilt together as well given that win cup might be looking at hanging up the the supercars helmet as well in the year in a couple of years time given that he's already achieved everything there is he's won four bathists he's uh seven titles over 100 races so you know um yeah what if he gets to notch one up with his old mate Lansy uh, as well so that'll be quite significant to see too absolutely yeah for now I guess they got get get the attention back to what's ahead for the title battle yeah title battle indeed so quickly let's um, wrap things up we haven't done this for a couple of weeks because we talked a lot about footy I guess but sporting moments of the week I guess you know we're in a bit of a transitional stage a transitional stage now sorry um, between I guess summer winter and summer um, football and cricket I guess so cricket will be the focus of a lot of uh, sports uh, moving forward and for me I guess uh, even though we've got the test match going on in the UAE between Australia and Pakistan we've got um, the domestic one day comp that wrapped up here in Victoria getting the job done so good on the Vicks uh, over the Tasmanians uh, the other day so that was certainly a highlight and yeah I guess for me it'll probably be more about domestic cricket this season that I'll be looking forward to watch rather than the international and the test series yeah the big bash is always great and Sheffield Shield is always quite interesting to keep uh, an eye on too just to look at those uh, those future stars for Australia for the test team. 
And we'll have some increased presence between Fox Cricket and hopefully with Channel 7 increasing that uh, output, you could say, to hopefully be on the international scene and, and really get an insight into what's going on on that domestic level where you could argue after what went on last season, the way it concluded on quite a acrimonious note with um, the scandal with the ball tampering, that it can regain some of its shine as they head towards the, the World Cup and the Ashes in the next 12 months. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, plenty, plenty to look forward to, I guess, if not just the warmer weather and uh, a lot more daylight as well into the into the evening. So as far as that's all concerned, thanks for... Sorry, thanks for tuning in this week. We'll be back next week to have a look at um, Big Weekend again with Gold Coast. We've got uh, Texas Grand Prix. We've got also MotoGP coming to Phillip Island too. So that'll be uh, worth having a bit of a a talk about too. But um, other than that, I wish you best of luck this weekend for the Melbourne Marathon as well, of course. We'll talk about your result next week. And I'll be glad to actually finally be in the crowd this time as well after like five years or whatever of having work on Sundays and now being free of that burden. So hopefully given the conditions and a new, uh, new set of rubber for yourself as well that you'll actually be able to reach the record that you want to and bring on the satisfaction afterwards it'll be worth it for some probably well uh looked forward to celebrating i think being patient (laughs) in the meantime especially with the way the weather's been it's hard to hold off but it'll all be worthwhile come sunday afternoon and beyond yeah let the celebrations kick in but before we got to do the hard work so um yeah from us both thanks for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time till then